0: You're listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio with your hosts, Brendan Elliott, Bob Baldessari, Andy Hydorn, and Chris Ray.
1: All right, Love of the Links back. You know what? I should have looked before I hit record on what episode, but we are in season three. I know that. I can't tell you which episode. Episode four, maybe? Five? <laughs> 4.5 episode
2: 4.5 well we've had we've had um maurice yeah we've had calvin yep we had just us for the first one have we had any others
3: I I think so we didn't invite you andy to the others
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're at episode 12 bobby <laughs>
1: it feels like 20 something but you know we are we're on episode 20 something <laughs> but uh, Masters Hangover is over, but there's still a lot of buzz around Hideki's uh, victory and the impacts of that, not just, you know, in Japan, which is going to be obvious, uh, but globally, there's it's, it's a big deal. Um, and right before we started recording this episode, we were, we were all talking about some of the impact that Augusta National has had in recent years. Um, but I wanted to start with what I had asked you guys before we started recording here. How cool is it to be able to follow whoever is your group, your players that you mark within the app or on the website, every single shot? How cool is that?
2: I mean, I think it's awesome. And you know, with all the fantasy stuff and with all the pools that everybody's in, to be able to watch guys that you generally don't care that much about, to be able to watch them hit every shot on the app, I think is pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, I agree, it's, you know, that blended technology tradition, some history, and the neat thing about uh, Augusta, you know, Augusta National is you can watch and Lou stays in on the fifth hole and you've seen him play the fifth hole all these times or whoever it is, uh, you know, you're you watching a shot by shot and you remember good shots they made, bad shots, you probably can get in their head and. See them over some shots or some holes that they haven't done so well. We've all been there, like, oh shoot, let me
1: just get this on the hole. Good <laughs> job, but it's it's a nice feature. I, I remember, and t- this this year and last for for me is a PGA member really stunk that I couldn't be on grounds. But I remember back a couple years ago. I remember when uh, uh, was it? It was Tazen that had the double eagle on the second hole.
3: Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah.
1: I had just left the second hole. I had camped out there for like a couple hours and I just left to walk over to 16. Um, and as I was leaving, I heard the roars from pretty much right where I was sitting where I had a you know, front row view of that rolling in. And then as I'm walking to 16, I hear a roar over there. And I think it was Adam Scott had got a hole in one. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of nice things about being on grounds. You can't, you can't sell that for anything. But when you're home, sometimes it's nice when you can follow on your phone, which isn't allowed within the grounds of Augusta National. And you can, you can see all those shots as they happen.
2: Well, it's funny you say that. I, I went to the, I want to say the 1989, no, that's not right. 93, maybe whatever Ryder Cup was at Oak Hill mm-hmm. in Rochester, right? Yep. And like we were there Saturday, Sunday, watching golf all day long. And I felt like I'm the only one that missed the Ryder Cup. Like I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know, you know, because you, you're victim to circumstance, like you said, Brendan. You're there on the second hole. You leave. Louis makes a double eagle. (laughs) You know, it's like you only see a, a small part. So, so I've always told people that you know, watching on TV is so much better, right? It's, it's you get to see the the aggregation of everything that's going on and, and the way that they produce it. And and then you throw in like the master's app and it takes it to a whole other level, right? And, you know, I, I had fun going down people's scorecards and seeing, oh, there's a triple. Let me see how he did that. Boom, you see all seven shots and it's mm-hmm. like, it's fun.
3: And I know how much you love the uh, leaderboard that I guess to Andy. <laughs>
2: Yes, I'm not a, not a fan of the the Masters app leaderboard. Maybe yeah. it, it just doesn't work with me visually, but the rest of it's pretty awesome.
1: That's pretty cool in person, though. I got to say that, like, the crowd reactions you get if you're sitting on 16, and they slap up. I remember when Mickelson eagled, I think he eagled 13 and then hold out on 14, his last victory. And, like, you hear the roar. Maybe it was a birdie on 13, but you hear the roar for that. And then you can get the sense of what a birdie sounds like or an eagle roar on one of the par fives. But it was some other level when he hold out on 14. And I was sitting on 16. You're like, what in the hell just happened? And waiting for that board, like everybody's eyes just turns and looks at the board. And sometimes (laughs) you can see the little guy behind the thing, like looking around (laughs) as he's getting ready to post the score.
2: It was funny. Um, I was talking to a friend, Tom Henderson, um, who was there. Right. And he said it was surreal being there because it it didn't matter where he went. He got a front row seat to see anybody hit any shot he wanted. And, you know, I remember saying to myself at one point, the, the final group on Sunday, I want to say it was on 14. I looked at 14 green and there were like eight people around the green and it was like, hardly anybody there, it was just an odd thing.
1: I, I got the number from a friend that was actually there and it was 15% capacity, I believe, is what is all that they had this past week. And you could tell, you know, and it, it's strange for anybody that's been there, it's strange that you can tell um, a master, a reg- regular masters crowd versus this
0: year's crowd.
2: No question. Yeah, that no was, question.
0: it had to be different, I mean, he Stephen, nice shorts. <laughs> no, 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 no shorts. No, I just saw that. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to do some editing. Yeah, I'll edit that. <laughs> no, we're going, from the, we're going from the waist up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, our Sorry. guest,
1: Stephen Yellen, has just come on. And I know Andy and, and Bobby, you know Steve a little bit better than I do. Steve, I was telling Andy the other day that I remember a presentation you did. Probably this goes back maybe eight, nine years. It was at an East Central chapter meeting at Southern Dunes. Um, oh, I remember that. You, you were there and, we, and you yeah. told the, the dinner party story and you, and you went into the whole FMF uh, system. And I have a lot of friends in my world that are very big fans of yours. Uh, Andy's one, Bobby's one. Uh, Steve Lotz is a, is a new friend of mine and he's talked about you countless times so we're really excited to have you on here but since I know you least probably of the other folks on here I'm gonna let Andy and Bobby kind of run with talking about this I did brush up last night on what fluid motion is and now I'm even more intrigued than I was before so I'm offline I got to connect with you at some point to see how I can make incorporate this so Andy Bobby whoever wants to roll with this with the introduction
3: and I think You know, let let me start real quick, uh, because I met Steve uh, a couple of years ago, as the phrase goes, when he visited me at PGA headquarters. I still have that manuscript you had, Steve. I think it was 2012. Oh, Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I still have it. And I should have grabbed it. It's I save everything. But um, yes, Steve came to my office. I was working up. I just got into headquarters. And he said, I've got this. I think it's this valuable education. And it's, it's it's a long story why it didn't facilitate through the head but i read it and i just went wow this is um this is pretty amazing i've never seen anything like this and uh I've, since that day or that time frame we, you and i talked a few times i tried to help get that thing going it, it's just uh i think it might have been just too <laughs> too uh i mean it's just it's brilliant in simplicity um and so obviously we had you on with our Reimagine Golf Youth and Family uh, Global Summit, and it—you just continue to open and expand uh, people's minds. So, you know, I thank you for what you're doing. Obviously, you follow all your posts on Facebook, and it just—it's uh, really, really. If anybody hasn't read it, they have to. But I'll hand it off to Andy now because I know uh, you're in. We're—he's president. I'm vice president of your fan club.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you. Appreciate that, Bob.
2: Yeah, Stephen. Thanks for for joining us this morning, and and just for for all the listeners, um, Fluid Motion Factor is the name of Steven's program, um, and in short, it's brilliant. It it taps into something, and and you know I've I've exposed myself to quite a bit of of you know information in terms of the mental side of teaching golf. Um, but Stephen touches on things that, that as far as I know, nobody's ever really no. taken a deep dive into, right? The, the physiology of the brain, how the brain works. And in the program is really about how you can train your brain so that you have the best chance of, of performing under pressure and pressure, as we all know is self-induced, right? I mean, you can have pressure, playing golf with your wife, um, you know, at five o'clock at night, or you can have the same amount of pressure put on yourself playing in front of thousands of people. So, um, but Steven, Steven's really, you know, tapped into something that I think is and will become revolutionary in the way that, that we all approach and teach the game of golf. So welcome to, uh, the podcast, Steven.
0: Well, it's it's a real pleasure to be with you guys. You know, you're like my family, my extended family. Um, I appreciate the kind words about the program, um, and um, uh, I'm actually quite honored to be on a, pa- a podcast with you guys.
2: Awesome. So, I, the one thing I wanted to, to ask first, and maybe it'll seem a little bit out of space, but we are just talking about the Masters a little bit. Mm. Talk to us about Jordan. You know the the ups, the downs, and the the seemingly resurgence of Jordan. And in, in in your estimation, you know what did what is all this? Where is it all coming from? And and how's he doing it?
0: Uh, well, I'll start from the beginning. From what from how I understand um, the situation, his situation, and. Many times better is the enemy, better is the enemy players get, uh, uh, to become number one or number two or number three in the world. And of course it's inherent within, um, us as human beings that regardless of where we are in life, we want to keep moving forward. We want to progress. We want to get better. We want to have a better job, make more money, better relationships. And if we're number one or two or three or four um, golfer in the world, well, if I'm doing it, uh, if I'm having so much success now, what if, okay, I can do this better? And that's that's a little bit, actually not a little bit, it's a lot of a double-edged sword. Because if you're number one in the world and you're winning major championships, And you say, I want to get better in this area. I want to change my swing to get 15 more yards with Jordan did, with Jason Day did. Um, You can go back to Trevor Immelman. You can go back to Ian Baker Finch. There's a whole host of players you never heard of who have done this as well. Then it's a very, very precarious path. And the reason why it's a precarious path is that you have to un- you have to understand the neurophysiology of what it takes to um, produce a repetitive swing, a consistent swing, a, su- a swing that's well synced. And it's you guys, I think, are very familiar with this, uh, especially Andy, since just <laughs> edited all my videos. Is that the brain physiology has to operate in a very specific environment in order to sink the swing or control the distance on the wedges or repeat a swing. And the environment can be described um, sort of a long answer but I think it's you know a thorough answer. The environment can be described um, in one word, wholeness. The brain physiology was designed to create fluid motion when it experiences a threshold level of wholeness. Wholeness is not the absence of parts Wholeness is the togetherness of all the parts where not one part or not one aspect of the swing is overshadowing any other aspect of the swing. Now, that's a delicate dance, especially on the back nine of Augusta on Sunday. So when someone says to themselves or the coach says, you know, I think if you get 10 or 15 or 20 more yards, it'll put you in another category. So instead of hitting, you know, uh, a three iron, you'd be able to hit maybe um, a, a six iron or seven iron. And of course, you know, because we always want to improve in life, a lot of us bite that poison apple. They take a bite out of it. And I think what Jordan did three years ago or four years ago, however many years, he said, "Okay, yeah, let's do it. So what happens is the instructor looks at the swing very carefully and says, um, if we can only do this, okay, then I think we're going to hit the mark. Now, what happens is that this, this starts to become the star of the show during the swing. So the mind makes that pulsate over any of the other elements of the swing, thinking that if I can only do this, all the other parts of the swing will fall in line like dominoes and I'll get my 15 yards. Now, a lot of times there's success on the range, but range golf and Sunday golf at Augusta or Sunday golf at PGA, at a PGA tournament, as, as Hogan said, it's the difference between hockey and tennis. It's two different sports. There's no ramifications when you're on a track man and you're looking at 75 balls, there is no ramifications so if you miss a shot no big deal you just go to the next shot so it's much easier for the brain physiology uh, brain physiology to experience wholeness in that environment but and it's a huge but it's a career changing but when you have one ball and that swing thought starts pulsating like no pulsating like nobody's business because you realize if i can only do that everything will fall in line then wholeness is broken. And in my opinion, this is exactly what happened to Jordan Spieth is he went in there and he said, if I can only do this, I'm going to get better. And even, you know, I read an interview maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago. He even said, well, I was working on the wrong thing. Well, I spent two years working on the wrong thing. Well, it's not the wrong thing as much as it is lack of understanding of how fluid motion is produced. So with that being said, what about his recent success? Stephen, would, how would you comment on that? Because uh, I think he changed coaches. I have an, an idea he did, okay? And uh, maybe they started working on something different and that clicked. Well, the only reason it clicked and the only reason any swing change is going to click is not the brilliance of the swing change because any top coach can take any PGA player and tell them exactly what they would need to do to take their swing to another, uh, another level. You know, you can take two or three of the top guys. They may differ a little bit, but you know, they'll pinpoint something is that Jordan started to create more wholeness in his brain physiology That is the only reason why his game went to another level because if he went to another swing coach and they started working on something different, if the brain physiology did not experience a threshold level of wholeness during that 1.5 seconds it it takes to generate a swing, it doesn't matter how brilliant the swing change would be, wholeness would be broken and the swing would be very challenged. To be synced, especially in pressure situations.
2: So it it to me it it's it's very easy to understand why somebody can go down that rabbit hole, <laughs> and it's almost a miracle that people get out of it, because you know, like you said, I I think what most people do, we've all been there, I've been there, is you just think you have the wrong swing change, or the wrong swing thought or the wrong thing. So you go try something else and then you try something else and you try something else. And the fact that people don't really realize how to get out of it. It's a miracle that people do.
0: It's a miracle. It has destroyed many careers. It has kept the majority of PGA and LPGA golfers and even your average golfer from ever reaching their potential in golf. It's a miracle that uh, that people continue p- to play golf with this understanding because they go out there with this swing thought pulsating like the lights outside of the Bellagio hotel. They hit five or six shots that keep them coming back. But at the end of the round, they're mentally and physically exhausted. And they're questioning, why am I spending four or five hours away from my family? And I'm, I'm so aggravated at the end of the day. And to top it off, On the range before they play, everything is just fine and dandy, more or less. So there's one question that every player, every coach, every commentator needs to be able to answer in order to understand not only golf, but all of sports. Because my program has been taught, I think, in 12 or 13 sports. Fluid motion is produced identically in every sport. Do you think the body really cares whether you're throwing a curveball or hitting a flop shot? It's, it's, the same, it's the same processes in the mind and uh, that produce fluid motion in every sport. And the question is very simple. How is fluid motion produced and why does it break down? Now, the answer is not Stephen Yellen's program. In many ways, this is not Fluid motion factor is really not Stephen Yellen's program. Stephen may be clever. He's not the creator. He didn't create how fluid motion is produced. Just like a, if you go to a cardiologist, a cardiologist did not create how a healthy heart operates. But if you can't answer this question, as you said, Andy, every week, every six weeks, every you know six months, every year, you're going to be searching for the answers and even the pros they're playing. You know what? They're playing blackjack every week. You know, I went to a um, well, it's now it's the corn Ferry tour was, what was it before? Buy.com or um, whatever it was called. (laughs) Take your pick. (laughs) Take your pick. Okay. Nike. I I went there about uh, maybe two and a half years ago and I go to the range and I think it's probably pretty close on the PGA tour as well. Every player had a track name. Every time they hit a shot, their neck would go 180 degrees and they would look at the numbers. And I walked I up to the range and I'm just smiling. I'm saying, really? Really seriously? You really think you have a chance to not only get on the PGA tour, but actually have a, a successful career on the PGA tour? You are, you are playing such blackjack because what happens, not only do you become a prisoner of the numbers, then what happens is that you become a prisoner. Oh, that's what I did on that shot to generate that angle of attack. That's what I did. So what do they do? Well, they, they pack their little track man up, okay? Then they go on the course. Where is all the attention? Oh, I got this angle of attack uh, because I thought I did this with the club They're systematically like trying as much as they can to break wholeness. How much can I break wholeness before I pull the trigger? And the reason, there's two reasons why they have that. One, they cannot answer the question, how is fluid motion produced and why does it break down? And two, they equate attention with execution. They equate attention with execution, meaning if I put more attention on doing something very specific, I have a better chance of actually executing it. This is so far from the neurophysiological world of how to create fluid motion. Because if you ask any golfer, which I have asked, and some golfers that have won major championship, can you give me one word to describe how it felt when you played your best? You get one word, not two words. The top And you guys think of your words, okay? The top three answers are simple, easy, effortless. Simple, easy, effortless. Not focused, not concentrated, not determined, not anything to do with attention equals execution. Is that what they're saying is that for whatever reason that day, because they don't really understand how they got there. And even if they got there, they don't understand the dynamics of how a fluid swing was produced. They created and experienced deeper levels of wholeness. You could say deeper levels of silence. You can say deeper levels of abstraction, which is getting away from this concrete. Mm-hmm. Let me do this. Let me do that. And that's the only reason why they played well that day. Let hey, me, Steve. Go ahead, Bob. Well, uh, you
3: know, to your one point, I saw this in the early two thousands. It started to. Uh, I I was aware of it. I I would say I was starting to get concerned seeing youth golf. And I was at my club many years in a row. I was hosting big regional and some national youth events. And I've had this conversation with, oh boy, uh, Jim McLean, um, Dr. Gary Wyron, some big, you know, some big instructors. And I talked to them about this, that I saw the parents out there with the kids and they had a videotape every swing and every swing then they're double checking and then they're on the golf course videotaping and my my simplistic mind was saying these kids were getting in tournaments and if they went bogey 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 they wanted to go hey coach what, what did I do wrong they couldn't <laughs> rescue themselves uh, it was just this fascinating thing I saw it you know it's I don't know. I I just, these kids were relying on every, they couldn't rely on themselves to rescue around is a phrase. My dad used to say to me as a kid, you know, you know, you're going to get better when you're in the middle of round, things aren't going well and you somehow can get it into the clubhouse, that phrase. And um, so, you know, that one comment you made, I, I aligned with that. And the other quick thing I want to throw in was, um, you know, as these tour players embrace more and more of what you're doing, the, the better players, you know, we've seen the history of golf, when I was at PJ Village, uh, reading ma- magazines back to the nineteen twenties and thirties, and the game was in trouble because the shirt and tie and the jacket was going away. And then, you know, there's been these crazy. Right. You know, when the Meadowood came out, all, um, all, you know, this is going to be crazy. Um, sorry, Andy, I don't mean that the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, and then physical fitness wasn't overly embraced. So into this new frontier, what you're doing. Uh, you know, is is a fifty five on that realm now? You know, be the four minute mile goes away, and all of a sudden, that that record keeps going lower.
0: Well, you know, I had the good fortune of becoming, um, and, and and for sure, your your comments are are, are spot on, are right on, um, Bob. Um, I had the really good fortune of meeting a world class neurophysiologist many, many, many years ago. And he worked with two Olympic teams, two top winter Olympic teams, Denmark and Norway. And of course, I think the last Olympics, Norway just crushed the winter Olympics. And he told me something that um, completely changed my understanding of sports. And not immediately, it took a couple of days, but he said, his name is Dr. Fred Travis. He said, "Stephen." You know, when you groove a motion, that motion cannot break down. What breaks down is the ability to access it. Well, I think it was 48 hours um, later, I woke up. And sometimes, you know, you have very clear thoughts. Immediately when you wake up, your mind is just like, you know, on high alert. <coughs> Excuse me. And there was a nuclear explosion in my brain. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and... Um, I realized the ramifications. Holy guacamole. Are you serious? I saw the whole picture of sports completely changing, how sports is not being taught properly, how sports is, any sport, all sport, how sport is not being played properly. Why, why, why athletes do not reach their potential? They don't understand this neurophysiological fact. It's not an opinion, it's a fact. And I realized, oh my goodness, on every shot, regardless of playing level, everyone is trying to recreate the swing. Now we're not talking about beginning or intermediate golfers who are building up muscle memory. We're talking about golfers who have a repetitive swing. And a golfer knows whether he has a repetitive swing, whether he's in that range. You know, it may be the lower end of the range, but it's still the range, okay? And I realized, what are they doing? They are looking for their glasses, and the glasses are on the top of the head. <laughs> and um, it reminds me, it reminds me of the story you all of you have seen, The Wizard of Oz, Oz, probably multiple times. Is what did the wizard tell Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion? Uh, you know, what did he tell them? You already have what you thought you did not have. Yep. So when I, when I realized that the ramifications for this, I, uh, I saw the whole vision. This is 15, 20 years ago. I said, this is all going to change. This is uh, It doesn't matter whether you believe it or you don't believe it. Okay. Whether you're in or you're not in, because the marketplace will eventually speak and will 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 default to something simpler and more powerful rather than default to something more complicated and convoluted, and uh, I'm a very patient man. I'm still waiting, but you know, with the help of people like you guys, all right. Hopefully, this gets out. And you know, I have to tell you, it's not an ego thing. You know, it's not an ego thing. It's almost a compassion thing that Stephen Yellen doesn't deserve to be famous. The program deserves to be famous because it's the birthright of every golfer. You know how frustrating it is for these golfers. And for me, when I work with someone and I see what happens sometimes instantaneously, it's just, it's a thrill. You're all teachers, you know what it is to help out a student. And a lot of times the monetary compensation is secondary to the improvement that they see. It's just secondary, it's in the background. But with that being said, I do wanna be a multi multi multi-millionaire, okay? (laughs) So, uh, you know, (laughs) that's just the nature of the beast. But the program deserves success. It's a neurophysiological phenomena. Golf is being taught incorrectly. The pros uh, going through the certification program at the PGA are not being taught. I won't say incorrectly, I'll I'll say not as fully as they understanding as they could. And as a result, the next generation of golfers are being brought up on track, man. They're being brought up on the story you just said, Bob, what did I do wrong with my swing? What did I do wrong with my swing? It, 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 it's, it, it, it's a semi tragedy, okay, in a way. Steven, there's, there's an exercise I love to do with some of my
1: juniors and, and it's once they get to a certain level where we see some repetitiveness I'll take them out onto the golf course and I'll say, you pick one, maybe two clubs. And the idea of this, and I'm, and I'm I'm thinking it's kind of going along the same lines of this is it tries to quiet the mind with thinking about the mechanics of the swing, as you said, because if you choose a seven iron and you're playing a 500 yard par five, well, there's nothing more you can really do than just swing your seven iron. And they'll go up there and hit three good seven irons and be right up by the, the green and go, oh, I'm chipping for birdie or I get up and down for par. And, and I tell them, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. I said, it's just like when you get into trouble and you really can't do anything except pull out a six iron and hit it back into play. Do you really think about your swing at that point? Or are you just putting a swing on the ball? So I'm, I'm curious if those types of thoughts or those scenarios I put the students through, if if that's going along these lines,
0: that is brilliant. I am going to steal that, um, that exercise. I hope you don't mind. (laughs) No, it's fine. uh, No, I think it's absolutely brilliant. In fact, uh, I'm working with a a really good um, uh, senior amateur golfer right up Andy's alley um, uh, who wants to play in, um, he may be not as good as Andy, but he wants to do well in his sectional event, okay? And I'm gonna do that exact uh, exercise with him. And the reason why it works is you nailed it, Brendan, you nailed it, is that it quiets the mind. Now, the cerebellum, which sinks the swing, which is able to self-correct the swing, can only really work properly when it exists in a, in a, when the mind is silent. So when you take, and what happens when you do this is that they start to experience time normally. Time is ultimately what controls the motion. When you're in real time, meaning you're experiencing the swing as it unfolds physically, you're, under, you're, you're experiencing, you experience it, especially in the transition where all the trauma takes place. Mm-hmm. Then when time is experienced normally, then the swing could be synced. When there's the slightest over anticipation of an event that has not yet occurred, even if that event is gonna occur in half a second between the time you're at the top and the time you make contact with the ball, then the, essentially the body starts doing crisis management on the way down. Now, when you're on a 500-yard um, par five, and you give a guy a seven iron and says that's all you can hit, they never go into the future, because they realize they realize that hey, <laughs> you know I can't get home in two. I may not be able to get home in three. Okay let's enjoy the ride. And this feeling of let's enjoy the ride allows the cerebellum to swing, to sink the swing, probably allows more swing speed. It allows, uh, you know, them to find the slot squared up, make better ball contact or whatever. So I, I think it's, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I, I really think that all golfers should uh, uh, um, actually do this in a practice round one or two times where, they take out a seven iron or a nine iron or a six iron, because then what happens is they start culturing the mind to be more familiar with that space. It's culturing the mind to be more familiar with that space of silence. So um, congratulations. It's absolutely brilliant. The swings you see are silky smooth when you do that too. Oh, you see a different, do you see a different swing? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: you see their authentic swing. The one that I know is there. Exactly. Beautiful. You know,
3: Brendan Great point. And for me growing up, I played one club all the time. I think that was just almost around Andy, you know, of England, up. but we played one club all the time. Your creativity was off the charts. You had to create and you didn't get stuck in some minutiae perfection. Seve obviously was famous uh, when he grew up and, you know, it just reminds me what Brendan said. Uh, I do for 20 something years more and more and more, and I'm almost at the verge of just almost old school, go back to only ever giving coaching even a beginner on, on the golf course. I mean, that's where the magic is. Nobody wants to sit on the range and hit balls for, you know, it's like whatever. Uh, but it, when I'm on the course doing all my coaching and there's a situation and, you know, to take a little bit from behind Andy up on the wall, situational awareness, like situational football with the Patriots, and we'll be back better this year. <laughs> so I digress. But, uh, <laughs> I'm struck by how many times I'll say, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, all right, there's it's 180 yards. Uh, let's do a layup. And so somebody takes their club and it's just this relaxing and they hit it and it's a foot into, or they might hit it into the penalty area right now, it's called. And I'll just say, uh, geez, you know, w- when you lay up, you want to lay up. And, but it's this relaxation, Stephen. And they make a maybe their best swing, no expectations, and they hit their best shot. I don't know how many times I've seen that. I don't know, Brendan or Andy, if you've yeah. seen it, but. This uh this idea of just laying up frees up the mind, I guess, relaxes somebody. And so many times they hit
0: such a great shot, it's amazing. You know, in my opinion, okay, the first um the first goal that a professional should have with his student, the first priority that a professional should have with his student is to get their cerebellum working correctly this is now this is it's it's very abstract I mean well we'll, this is is coming from left field no it's coming from neurophysiology because and I'm talking about even with beginning golfers who really Mm -hmm. don't know where the club should be and really don't know what a good follow-through or you know having a solid contact point is over and over because Uh, Golf is all about motion. Motion is all about the muscles. Where's the operating system of the muscles? Well, it's in the brain, okay? So unless the origin of the swing is working correctly, then, you know, it's a slow boat to China. Now, there's a way for beginning golfers because they're putting money in the bank muscle memory is is located in the basal ganglia it's like a savings account you put money in there you put money in there until you have your goal of enough money ten thousand dollars twenty whatever it is is that even with beginning golfers who are putting money in the bank they're, they're 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 uh grooving their swing there's a way to teach them mechanics because you know Uh, 99% of the kids aren't going to pick up a club and you're going to be satisfied with how they're swinging. You're going to have to go in there and do surgery, right? Of course you are. They're not going to swallow some fluid motion factor pill and all of a sudden be in la-la land. It doesn't work like that. So, But there's a way to teach beginning golfers how to work on a part because when you are a beginning golfer, or intermediate golfer, you are working on parts because the parts are not really working that well in in your swing. They're not the correct parts. There's a way to work on the parts without breaking wholeness in the brain physiology. So the mind does not get weakened. Usually when you're teaching a student, you're living uh, in the world of you did it, you didn't do it. You did it, you didn't do it. Yeah, you got. that's where I want you to get the club. That's where I want you to get the club. Now, when you do that, it's a very weak deposit in the basal ganglia. In this, you did it, you didn't do it universe. And the reason why it's a weak deposit is you're not associating success of making the move with the processes in the mind that actually allowed you to make the move. So
2: Steven, Steven, I, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this recently. Yes. And yes. Um, as, as brilliant as I think fluid motion factor is for the player, for the student. Yes. I think there's an equally, you know, tremendous opportunity oh. with coaching. Yeah. Oh, yes. Because, because, you know, let's face it not everybody is is going to be you know developed enough where where they can say you know what i'm here i've got it let me just access it that's not that's not the majority of players the majority of players are still trying to build some sort of of muscle memory and swing mechanical stuff that's just the nature of the beast so to me the the next frontier which i think is is unbelievable is getting golf coaches who are teaching people how to do things to teach them in a way that the student can actually build it, access it, and play with it. A 100%.
1: Steve, real quick before you finish or before you start your thought, but I know Bobby has to go. He's got a meeting. So Bobby, anything you want to say real quick before you have to take off?
3: No, just uh, we'll we'll keep uh... Spread the word, Stephen, about what you're doing. And, and Andy, that's I wanna, That's a brilliant comment that I, I'm, I'm helping somebody this Saturday morning at 9 a.m. So I'll be doing my little thing to help and uh, keep on, keep on doing what you're doing and we'll be helping. Thank you.
0: Bob, I appreciate your um, friendship over the years. I appreciate your support. I look forward to spending some time with you in person and, and eventually we'll make that happen. You got it, my friend. Thank you. See you, Bob. Okay, yeah, Bobby. Okay, so I have a, a few comments on um, what Andy just said, based on experience. You know, the star of fluid motion factor program is the mind-body connection. It's the brilliance of the brain physiology. It's not any individual teacher. The cerebellum knows more about how to self-correct and sync the swing than any instructor that will ever be born on this planet. This is just this is the brilliance, okay? I mean, just watch a, a child learning how to walk. You're gonna really teach that kid how to walk and give him instructions? Forget it, he's got no chance. Now, with that being said, what I have seen uh, and what happens is that when the processes in the mind that are responsible for sinking a swing, start working correctly, you're in another universe, baby. This is another universe. You are going from a, um, a four-cylinder Camry to a 12-cylinder Ferrari or Lamborghini. And what I have seen with the golfers that have mechanical issues obvious mechanical issues any any instructor who understands the swing can watch them swing and see that oh that's uh, no bueno there okay that you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to um repeat that swing and and get the results you want is that when the cerebellum starts working correctly this unbelievable. Andy, you have to see it to believe it. Okay. And we'll, we'll make that happen in person with some average golfers. What happens is that the body starts to default to simpler and more powerful positions, even if it doesn't understand what those positions are, because the body and and Brendan, you have, I'm sure you've seen this many, many times, uh, you know, and you see it, you see it with the seven iron. Okay, what happens to the kid's swing when all of a sudden he knows he can't get there in regulation? He's probably going to make a double or at least a bogey or whatever. What happens to the swing?
1: There's no no forcing it at that point.
0: And, And what happens to the mechanical efficiency of the swing? It all falls into line according to how it should, like you said, whether they know what that is or not. It doesn't matter. They don't have to know it. They're probably better off not knowing it. Okay. Because then they start to put their attention on it. So what I have seen, and for the most part, over my career, it's teaching. I've worked with elite golfers, um, either on the amateur or professional level, but I've also worked, <coughs> excuse me, with 18 handicapped golfers and 24 handicapped golfers. And I've seen what happens and it's a jaw dropping thing now you get a jaw-dropping response like really now this is not going to correct all the issues but what it does it starts smoothing out some really major issues and after you do that when I work with anyone okay uh, my first goal in fact my only goal is to get their cerebellum working correctly then get out of the way I'm getting out of the way and I'm just trying to make their cerebellum work even more correctly, more correctly. Now, I can only do this because I'm not a swing coach. I don't understand the swing like, like um, you and Andy. I'm not qualified to explain it. I have some basic understanding, but, you know, uh, you know, I'm still in the sixth grade. You guys have graduated high school with that. But what I've seen is that these issues start to resolve. Now, when this happens... it's a little threatening for a golf instructor to to have this power and have this knowledge because they have to leave their ego at the door. Because when someone takes a lesson and you're the instructor, well, I understand the swing. You don't understand the swing. I know what has to happen. You don't know what has to happen. So you better listen to me. But if the person has a, a balanced, if the instructor has a balanced enough ego and they can set up the situation where the cerebellum is working correctly, they become a superstar. They'll get more lessons. People will be lining up to see them. Now this, as Andy said, this is a huge, this is a revolution. This is saying that, you know what? Maybe there's a better mousetrap out there. Maybe there's a better way to do it. A lot of instructors are not gonna want, have to do anything with this, but eventually they'll be left behind because If people are getting better with one form of teaching, they're gonna start gravitating to that kind of thing. So that's what uh, I, but then, but let me say, but to complete Andy's thought, if you take them down, down the Chinatown and they get the cerebellum working correctly, and there's still issues in there that, okay, this ain't gonna be fixed like this, all right? It could be fixed to a certain degree, but we have to go in there and do surgery then there's a very specific way to do that where you're working on a part, but you're not weakening the brain physiology's ability to sink the swing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a delicate, it's a delicate path, right? Um, and and I, I do believe, and, and again, I've said this to you numerous times, that's the next frontier in golf coaching is, is getting getting coaches to understand it's a, when they, when they do start to help people make some physical changes, they're making those changes in the arena that allows the student to accept those changes and, and kind of, you know, make those improvements like they need to be. So I wanted to switch <clears throat> subjects here real quickly. So, and, in uh, you know, S- Stephen works with Scott McCarran who, yep. who, uh, I it was it last year or the year before where he won the Schwab Cup. Year before, year before, nineteen. So, and and Scott's been been great in crediting Stephen for for you know helping him with his successes. Um, But one thing, and I remember I was on the phone with Stephen asking of this. It came down to the last event of the year, and Scott had a lead, and. Scott was (laughs) trying like hell to keep a Schwab Cup lead. And it was an amazing set of circumstances that allowed him to win the Schwab Cup, but he was melting. And can you comment a little bit on on that weekend, Stephen, on what was going through Scott's mind?
0: Okay, so anyone who's gone through the Fluid Motion Factor program um, gets sold out to it rather quickly because um, we're set, <laughs> I'm teaching them to set up the circumstances to produce a fluid swing that usually just shows up by chance, but we're setting it up by design. And it happens really quickly. Sometimes it can happen within three balls on the range. And the guy turns, he says, I never wanna leave this space again because the mind wants to experience that. So what I found a few years ago more than a few years ago, four or five years ago, I found something very interesting that perplexed me initially. And that was people would go through the program. They would uh, be able to do it on the range. They would be able to do it uh, on the course, but occasionally and sometimes more than occasionally, they would not be able to do it in a competitive round. And then I realized that um, um, why? This doesn't make initial sense to me. They're sold out to the program. They can do it on the range. They can do it in a a practice round. They're having challenges sometimes, um, you know, in a competitive round. And then I realized that um, being um, a competitor still in tennis, I still play tournaments. Well, there's only one reason. Uh, Fear. It's fear. Fear blocks the ability to access deeper levels of silence. Fear blocks the ability to access deeper levels of silence. There's a block. It's like a roadblock where you have to stop and then you can't access it. Now, every golfer, I don't care who it is, experiences a certain level of fear out there. But if it goes past a certain threshold, and interferes with the cerebellum's ability to sink the swing, then you have a little bit of an issue. Now, Scott, Scott won three times on the PGA Tour. He got to the Champions Tour. It's not like he put more money in his bank. It's not like all of a sudden he had more muscle memory. No, he had the same when he was on the PGA Tour as the Champions Tour. He was just taught how to access it. It's the same player. Okay the same amount of money 10,000 maybe he accessed uh, 3500 or 5500 on the PGA tour and then he gets to the champions tour and he can access you know 90% of it most of the time so he wins 11 times now he's in a career changing round what happened to Hideki the last three or four holes okay what happened to that bogey free round you know, all of a sudden he starts leaking a little oil and he's in a position where he he knows he wins the masters. His life has changed forever. Do you not think there was a little fear that he started to experience? Okay. Mm -hmm. Of course there was. So Scott, extraordinarily talented golfer who's accessing the majority of his money in the bank account is in a, a career changing back nine. He's never been there before. He says he wanted to win the Schwab Cup for years and years and years. He was one of the dominant players for how many years, five or six years. He said Bernhard Bernhard Langer had a stranglehold. He said, calls it a stranglehold on it. So he's in a situation which obviously some fear is going to creep up. It, 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 it's natural for anyone. It, you saw it last week with Hideki. So... But it didn't reach a point where it completely melted him down. It melted him a little, and I'm sure he would admit it. But he still was able to hang on. He still had enough freedom. He still can control the distance on his wedges and the distance on his putts enough to hang on and win that career-changing Schwab Cup that really changed his life.
2: Yeah, it's it's amazing, you know. In in uh, I don't know, Brendan, if 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 you've ever experienced this, but you know, when you're trying to to teach somebody, for example, okay, you're on you're on the putting green, you're 35 feet from the hole, and you're trying to teach somebody how to hit that putt the right distance.
1: I know where you're going.
2: <laughs> you you can't do it, right? At some point, you have to trust your brain is going to tell your body what 35 feet is like in terms of the force you're putting on on the golf ball right and and it just it's still to this day i'll be in a tournament or something i'll be standing over a putt i'm like i gotta just trust that i know how hard to hit this putt because you have these fear right steven you have these these thoughts of fear that that your brain is going to, you know, malfunction and you're going to hit a 35 foot putt 10 feet or you're going to hit it 50 feet. But trusting that your brain knows way more about yes. telling your body what to do, than certainly your, your cerebellum knows more than your prefrontal cortex, if you will. 100%. Right?
0: It's, it's 100%. And, you know, the guys, I, I mean, you go to a PGA tournament which I have been, I'm sure all of you have. You guys have been, okay. You go to LPGA tournament, which I have been, I'm sure you've been. Mm. You can't tell the difference in their swings. No. You can Come on. Are you serious? You, you, first of all, you would take any one of those swings in a heartbeat. They're not missing shots. It's like, who can lose this tournament? Two days <laughs> later, half the field is gone. A year later, maybe you know. 25% of them don't even have their playing card anymore. So what really separates golfers? It's not the swing, because if it was the swing, you would see that on the range and you cannot tell. You know, if they if you couldn't distinguish who one player was from another player, you're not going to name the top 50 players in the world. It's going to be, it's that's a crapshoot. Okay. I don't care even Rory swing. I mean, there's guys swings out there that are just beautiful that, you know that are just hanger honors kind of thing so what separates the golfers what separates athletes in every sport it's not the quality of their motion because at a certain point their motion is absolutely uh, you know stellar it's not going to get much better it's not the quality of their motion it's the quality of their silence during the motion and that allows you, it enables you to access your money in the bank. Now, what happened with Scott um, is that all of a sudden, it's not the quality, like the quality of his motion changed. It was the quality of his silence during the motion that changed. And as a result, 11 wins on the Champions Tour. So if you, and hopefully one day it'll happen, teach this program to every single player who has their card on the PGA Tour, you're gonna to see a big fluctuation of who wins every week. I don't think you're gonna have, you know, five or six or seven or 10 players dominate. <clears throat> now, with that being said, as I, as I told you this, the story of Scott previously, just because you know what to do doesn't mean you're gonna be able to do it. So there's qualities of how well can you, or how successful can you experience that silence during competition, even if you're completely sold out because I've seen it. You're completely sold out, yeah. You stripe the ball here on the range, you stripe the ball in, in, in a practice round, It's you're not quite striping it. So what's gonna separate you know, the the players will still be the same element. It won't be the swing. It'll be the ability to experience deeper levels of silence during the swing. But I tell you, honestly, every single player on the PGA tour is in swing prison. They are in swing prison. And uh, I know it's quite a statement, but I, 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 I totally believe that because they can't answer the question. You have to be able to answer this fundamental question. It's the most fundamental question you can ask an athlete, especially a professional athlete. How is fluid motion produced and why does it break down? And if you can't answer that question, you're in swing prison. You really are because every shot, every shot, not only on the, on the range, but certainly every shot on the course you are trying to recreate the wheel on every shot and you don't have to recreate the wheel. All you have to do is learn how to access what you already own and, the, and learning how to access what you already own is the same for every player regardless of playing ability.
1: I've got um, one final thought and I'm gonna throw it over to Andy after that to, to kind of bring this very interesting chat to a, to a close. Um, Andy, you were talking about the 35 foot putt and I can't tell you and Steven, the number of times, and I'm not a player. I, I never really had a desire to play, to make money, uh, but teaching people was kind of, since I was a little boy, since I was you know, 12, 13, 14, that's always where it was for me. So I'm not, you know, we've got Rod Perry in our section, who's a great player and a great instructor, but for me, um, I can't tell you the number of times that i'm trying to teach lag putting or bunker shots or distance wedges where knowing that i'm not a player i can go up there because i'm helping someone else and hole a bunker shot or make a 35 foot putt or just nail my 20 40 60 80 yards because i'm not thinking about me i'm not thinking about my swing I'm thinking about trying to impart what I know onto someone else. And I never realized until now, really diving into this today with Steven, that I was doing exactly what this whole this whole thing is about. I wasn't I was not getting in my own way. So with that, I'll throw it over to Andy to to wrap up our chat.
2: Well, I again, I, it's <laughs> It is amazing that, that as you think about all the stuff that you do with your students, Brendan, and, and, you know, all the time that you spend, you know, teaching the game, this has, this has to make you think about things differently, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, I promise you that, that this is the next frontier. Um, And, you know, Stephen, I applaud you for. For you know your your uh, persistence, I applaud you for for putting together the information that's going to <clears throat> excuse me that's going to to be part of this revolution. And um, you know I'm I'm fascinated every time I talk to you. Uh, it's it's I learn more um, both from from the educational side of things and from the playing side of things um so thank you for spending the time with us um it's been it's been great and it'll continue to be great um there's there's a need for every person in this world who plays golf to know fluid motion factor
1: yeah
0: well that is absolute music to my ears andy and um you know i've been very patient because i know this is um you know, it's a paradigm shifting um, reality and people like to hold on to their paradigm. They have a lot of time and money invested in it, but um, this is nature. You know, this has been um, where I find uh, refuge that it's not Stephen Yellen. This is nature. It's, it's science. It's your birthright and, um, and it should be known by all. And, uh, when it is, you know, you'll play better golf and that's all you want to do anyway. So I've done a number of podcasts, but I, 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 have to tell you, this is absolutely one of my favorite ones. Um, you know, the questions that were asked, the, the, the quality of discussion and, you know, the people who were asking the questions and being on this are, you know, three guys that I really respect, got to know Brendan a little bit more and, um, you know, let's see where this journey leads. And Andy, you know, you're the man, buddy. You can help make it happen. <laughs>
2: we're, we're on it, Stephen. I promise you. Great,
0: great,
1: great. Stephen, uh, thank you. And for all our listeners, I'll get this all edited and uploaded onto our uh, all of our social media, the video portion. And then you can find the podcast, the audio on any place you listen to your podcast. Again, Stephen, thank you. Andy and Bobby, who's already gone. I appreciate you guys being on the podcast with me, Love of the Links. We'll talk to everybody soon. Thanks,
2: Thanks, gents. Have a
0: good day. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our website is littelinksers.com backslash love. You can email us at loveofthelinks at gmail.com.